Hello and welcome to What We've Learned. It's another episode in Series 3. Leaders and Pioneers brought to you by us. Us, myself, Steve Kemish and her, Shane Redding. Hello, Shane Redding. Hello. How are we today? All good. All good. All good. Excited. But how possibly can we be excited, Shane? We've locked in a brilliant, brilliant leader, but in the boring world of B2B marketing, Shane. Now, now, this is so not true, as you well, well know. It, am I being provocative, Shane? Is B2B marketing boring when Richard, when Richard talks about it? Absolutely not. We are in for the most exciting session. I mean, here's a man um, who, in his various roles in B2B marketing, has had to tackle um, his organisation being hacked for millions, um, triads, kidnapping. I mean, you know, it's not your normal B2B marketing job description, is it, Steve? It certainly isn't. B2B is not boring and this episode will be far from it. We chuck in the world's greatest explorer, Shane, at some point as well. We do indeed, but of don't want to spoil that. No. Um, but Richard Fitzmaurice, who's joining us today, is Senior Managing Director, Global Marketing and Comms at the Intertrust Group. Uh, it's a global role. He is, has also got some non-execs, uh, including one for Tri Digital Learning. He was previously Chief Marketing Officer at TMF Group. And as he will share with us, had quite a long career um, starting, in fact, as a graduate with BT. And the benefits of grad schemes come through too. Yeah, definitely. Lots comes through in this one. So without further ado, let's bring in Richard Fitzmaurice. Well, welcome, Richard. Really happy you can join us. I know you're a very busy man indeed. Um, your role as Senior Managing Director for Global Marketing and the comms team Intertrust Group. So thank you for sparing the time. No, no problem at all. Thank you for having me. This is my first ever podcast. Oh, you have to be very gentle. We'll, we'll go very gently, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, sort of my first sort of kickoff, I'm intrigued um, you know, we've known each other quite a long time, but about that your role is in your title as Senior Managing Director, but how different is that um, to being a CMO or is it in fact the same thing? And what, what exactly do you do at Intertrust Group? Um, I'll be honest, I, I consider it exactly the same thing. Um, so I was CMO of TMF Group for a period of about just shy of seven years. Um we went through an IPO process and a week before we were due to um, actually list on the London Stock Exchange, um, a private equity group came in and said, you know what, hold all the excitement, here's an offer, um, we'll buy you. Um, I stayed for uh, about a year or so afterwards, but as with all new ownership and, and new management changes, it's just, it felt time was right for a change. So I took a year or so to do some personal projects, do some consultancy. And then Intertrust Group came along, uh, invited me for a chat, uh, probably a month or so before, you know, the, the, the recent pandemic started and said, how would you like to do it all again? How would you like to um, go into a, a global uh, company? We're in 34 countries. We've got about uh, three and a half thousand plus employees around the world we do specialized administration services so if a, a large multi-billion fund requires administration we're your people if you're a large multinational corporation uh, with entities all around the world we can help you manage them and keep them compliant if you're in capital markets and you need help administering a loan we're your guys uh, and if you're a high net worth individual worth 50 million plus um, and you need help managing your investments all around the world, you give us a call. Um, but I was invited in to um, uh, take marketing to the next level and really uh, start generating pipeline, which for me is, is the key number one metric for all things marketing. Absolutely. Um, so if we rewind a bit, Richard, I'd be interested because looking at your education, it, it looks to me that actually marketing was a plan from from a fairly early age. You've got a degree that business, but with marketing. And I wonder where you were going to go there. I thought you were going to say, yeah, your education is quite normal. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. In fact, part 
kind of the opposite was where I was going is that often you meet marketing people, senior marketing people, all levels that marketing's not necessarily where they were going to start out. So you see quite a different path. Whereas for you, it feels like, you know, it was something that, whereas I might have thought I was going to be an astronaut or something like that at an early age in the family center to marketing. When was marketing something that you first honed in on that you thought, right, that's the, that's so the direction for me. Story, the story behind that. And I haven't really told many people this. So during my A-levels, I did computing, I did graphic design, I did business studies, and I did photography. And computing is something I just had a natural talent for. So, you know, the, the camera's not on, it's not working at this moment in time. But having seen me, you go, yeah, I can quite imagine this guy during his teenage years killing uh, wizards and elves and staying on his computer till four in the morning. But I had a natural talent for, for all things computers, all things, you know, coding, C++, MATLAB, that sort of stuff. So, you know, being the first member of my family um, to even consider university, let alone go, um, I got such a high score in my A-level computing, and we're talking over, say, six or seven elements, uh, coursework and exams, etc. I think my scores were like 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%, 99, 98. Like it was, it was silly. I was actually offered a paid scholarship um, to study multimedia technology and design. And as I said, being the first member of my family to go university, you know, very, we're very normal. Um, that money talked and I went, okay, well, we'll do that then. Every, every, every little helps in terms of the, the cost of your tuition fees and your, um, uh, and your accommodation and your books, et cetera, et cetera. But within two or three months of starting that course, I actually went, oh, you, you know what? I don't actually want to do this. Um, my favorite topic was actually marketing whilst I was studying, you know, business studies, A-level. Um, so I had this horrible decision to make, um, which was, you know, a very difficult decision. It was like, okay, you either stay away from home, uh, you know, quite a sizable chunk of your costs taken care of, studying a topic you didn't really want to do, your heart really wasn't set on it, or you'd have to go back home uh, drive into university on a regular basis, but you'll you'll study marketing, and that's what I did. So I think you start university end of September. I think by first week of December, I was actually changed courses, changed universities, um, and I was studying for my BA honours, uh, business studies with a specialism in marketing, and and kind of that's where the journey started. I was brave. I mean, that's really interesting. You say, you know, to really know at that stage it wasn't right for you. Was there any one particular thing about the course? Did it just not engage you, or how did you know it wasn't right, Richard? Um, I was sitting in the lectures, and I could do the work, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to do it. So, like all the topics we we're talking about, interesting, but to a to a point. Um, but what I actually enjoyed was marketing and learning about advertising, which is not the same thing, um, and doing the research and, and pulling strategies together. And obviously up to A-level, you're, you're doing it out of textbooks and limited case studies, et cetera. But even with that small exposure to it, I actually, I'm much more interested in that. Um, but it was a, you know, financially, it was an extremely brave decision because, you know, to pay my way um, on university was quite difficult. Uh, so I actually not only gave up the paid, heavily supplemented option, uh, shall we say, but I actually had to go and get a job in a warehouse as well. So I was waking up at half four in the morning, doing a, uh, starting the shift at six, uh, stopping work at two and then doing my coursework afterwards. So yeah, it was quite a, quite a time, but now you look back and go, well, how would have life turned out if I didn't make that decision? And I don't think I would be as happy and I don't think my career would have progressed if I, if I didn't take that decision. It's very, um, it's not just the, 
the bravery of it. It's the, it's the graft as well. It's tough paper around that you had at that point, right? In terms of you know working so hard. Another good reason that the camera's not on. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We're all in good company. There's a reason why we're doing podcasts. Um, but to, to then to take that on and, you know, you've almost, you know, the expression you make your own luck, but I think you've made your own success, Richard, with that kind of approach to things. And, and I wonder also, I mean, at the time that you were doing that degree, quite how much of the marketing was digital? I suspect back then it was it was coming into things, but not in the way it is now. But I just wonder whether that computing passion uh, has served you well through career in terms of because so much of marketing has become digital that you've got that uh, logic or technical understanding that digital marketing today often needs the art and the science together. Have you found that that served you in good stead to get technology when it comes to your marketing career? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Of those four subjects that I did at A-level, you can kind of, I can kind of see how each subject's influenced me. So you've not only got the computing and the appreciation for the, you know, the, the, the zeros and ones, but photography, I really enjoyed. Wasn't particularly good at it, I'll be honest um but i enjoyed it graphic design so you know uh, design labels and murals and poster campaigns or whatever obviously only at an a level level um but still there was a, an interest and a passion and and some uh, natural talent in the area plus marketing which I, I was really up for and i think having those four different perspectives for a someone who considers themselves very much a, a marketing generalist. I'm, I'm Mr. Average across everything. Um, I think it's really held me in, in, in good stead. I'm, I'm, I'm able to have an informed opinion across most areas. I can definitely um, warrant that it's informed. Unlike me, I can have an opinion across many things. But um, I think it's very interesting, Richard, that, you know, today you mentioned and you like your passion clearly comes through for marketing. But you mentioned pipeline, you know, the reason you get up in the morning to drive pipeline, but also as a leader, you know, increasingly we have to sort of be very cognizant of our, our people and our teams and our culture. And I'm really interested to reflect because I know you've worked in a variety of um, organisations, particularly today and your team as a leader, um, what the challenges are that you see in terms of running a really great team? Yeah, especially during what we're all going through at this moment in time. Um, it, it has been, it, it has been tough. But um, I'd say over the last probably like 12 or 13 years, um, my, my, my mentality has changed. So 13 years or so ago, I was all about Richard Fitzmaurice like the individual I cared about my CV and my progression and getting a, a step on the housing ladder and getting that promotion and getting the plaudits um now I completely and utterly cringe at such such a thought um you know I've, I find much more enjoyment out of knowing the team is progressing and we're being successful and someone's you know, getting married or they've just bought their first house or they've just treated themselves to a new car or they're going on on a holiday or, you know, their, 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 their career's going upwards. Hopefully that's that's within this team. But if not, you know, shake their hand, say thank you very much and, and you know, wish them all, uh, all, all the success um, in pastures new because the world's small and, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll bump into each other um, sometime soon. That's very, very of, you know, the Sorry, Steve. No, please carry on. Sorry, I was going to say it's very astute of you, but keep being astute, Richard. Please carry on. Well, I think I think it's just a question of maturity. I'd say 13, 14 years ago, I had um, uh, some growing up to do, and you know, I'm sure I still do uh, at this moment in time. Um, closer to home, you know, over the last year, I actually joined in the trust group on April the first, 2020. So it's kind of you know. Well, Walking through the door, happy April Fool's Day. Um, <laughs> my, name's, my name's Richard, although I wish I'd walked through the door because over the last, well, since April 1st last year, I've been in the office once due to the pandemic. So started in a, you know, large um, global company where we're, you know, we're listed on, on the Euro next. Lots of um, fun and games to that entails. Um, we had quite a disparate marketing team. So 
you know, without going into details, it was like turning spaghetti into lasagna. Um, we had a, a, I think in my second week, so this didn't come up in my interviews or, um, or the first week or so. And it was um, a call with the CEO who let slip that we were looking at refreshing our brand identity and marketing wasn't involved. Marketing didn't own that project. Um, wow. Who, who owned it? Well, the CEO, the CEO is very passionate and very, and it was absolutely the right project to kick off. But marketing didn't own it, um, so that was that was quite a, an eye opener. Obviously, you know we did an hour later, um, uh, but that just gives you an indication of of, of what was going on and and and, and the job uh, that needed to be undertaken, and you know trying to turn spaghetti into lasagna, trying to get our, our handle on on massive enormous projects in a listed company environment. During a pandemic where you can't have a single face-to-face meeting um, was difficult. And, and at the same time, you know, people are scared of, of change and the new philosophies you're bringing in, that new commercial um, focus. It's, um, it's, it's hard work. It does, it does keep you up at night. Um, you know, I think I had the first day off of the year in December um, from, from joining on that April Fool's Day. Um, but you can't do anything without people. If you can't motivate them, if you can't paint a picture of a, um, a better future, a more successful future and, 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 and show them that we, you know, we, all those projects that were denied at business case stage previously, we can get through if we try again. Um, it's, 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 it's a hard job. Some people are on the bus, some are not, but you have to, try and get everybody on the bus as, as soon as you can. That was, that's my astute comment, Richard. I think, as you said, you might position it as growing up, but the, that reflection moving away from, you know, brand Richard to, you know, the team and, and to that last point of, um, it's, an, it's a level of emotional intelligence as well to recognize, okay, you've got to surround yourself with good people, but also motivated people. So to your point, if you're going to get the best out of somebody, work out what drives them, their goals are, whether it is, you know, get on the housing ladder, as you've talked about, buy a fur coat, a car, whatever it is they want to do, you understand that you, you can only win. Um, if you, 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 you've got, you know, you want a seat on the bus, but you need to get the right shape of seat for everyone on the bus. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And you said something good in passing there, which is you've got to surround yourself with the best people. So, you know, let's let's generalize and say 15 years ago, it was a Richard show. Um, you know, I'd, I'd do as much as possible, uh, put it all through me. Now, absolutely not. The, the, you know, give yourself um, the best chance of success and give yourself an easier life. Surround yourself with people that are brighter than you. You know, uh, we have uh, now a head of external comms. He's better external comms than I will ever be. She's excellent. We have marketing ops person that likes numbers um, and better at them and everything that ops role uh, entails better than I'll ever be. The same for the website manager, the same for internal comms, et cetera. And uh, that just gets you to the um, to success and to results a hell of a lot faster, um, as well as empowering them to do what they they do best. Um, so everyone's a winner in that scenario. I think you're also being slightly modest here. Obviously, with with your maturity has come modesty, Richard, because I know that without naming names, that you know you've had you have loyal um, people you've worked with before um, who've joined the team. You know, um, yeah. and obviously because people only follow people and join companies when they trust them and they enjoy working with them. So, so what's the secret? to building you've obviously said something very important which i'm passionate about and other leaders on this podcast have mentioned too about delegating allowing people to be better at what they can do than you are but what are the other secrets to unleashing talent and and building a a loyal team perhaps that you've learned from other people or other situations on your journey i'm thinking of a particular submarine richard oh well i can go if, if i go to my early career at BT there were fantastic first firstly fantastic marketing education at BT um I think it has a lot of uh, similarities with um you know Procter and Gamble and the Unilever etc like a fantastic education I didn't fully appreciate until years after I'd left it's almost got to the point now where you walk past the office and you and you give it a salute um for all the good things there were 
pockets that you know shaped my own personal philosophies to management and, and marketing and one of them was you know I'm sure like most of us we've encountered scenarios where you you put your heart and soul into a project you probably put it into a powerpoint um, and you brief your manager and they scrub out your name and they put theirs and they get all the plaudits and none of it comes to you and that definitely I definitely experienced that um, at BT and as I said I consider myself immature at PT so you can imagine how much that grated um so like skip to modern day I'm the exact opposite of that I, I proactively if it's your work if, if 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 this is your project you do it day in day out you've designed it you're managing it you're presenting to exco you're presenting to the CEO you're presenting to the board let me know if you want me to be there and I think you know, a lot of the people that have followed me from 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 place to place. It's happened twice now. I've I've only really worked for three companies um, in my life, but I for me that's a key personal metric. If if not only what you do and what you achieve, it's it's how you do it, and and in in a way that people are willing to work for you again and and really go into battle roll up the sleeves and you know that means the world to me personally i don't really care about money and compensation etc anymore it's, it's you know it's it is what it is um things like that I, I get far far more um gratification out of it's interesting isn't it because the thread of what you've just said there is if you if you look at some of the greatest you know most successful people money is very low down on their list and it would be interesting i don't know but whether that might have changed over the years for them is that uh, and it almost centers back to your you know it depends on your definition of rich so i've got a very specific one um so i'm lucky enough to live quite close to a supermarket and it's quite a nice supermarket um I walk in there and I don't need to look at the price. That's my definition of rich. Just, that's a classic kind of uh, the, the, the rock star interview of, you know, the price of a pint of milk type thing is that you're comfortable, I suppose, is that, as you say, you're relaxed about the fact, you know, you can go in there and can afford it. And, and it sounds like from what you've said, Richard, that you've got that humble beginning that you do recognize the value of things, even if you don't know the cost of them. Is that fair? Yeah, I'm common. Yeah, as you can Not tell from my Etonian accent, I'm from I'm from Essex. <laughs> I'm very much a working class boy. But, but as you said, that kind of you know the first one to even consider and go to university, and that really difficult decision to go back to that of you know look financially, you can either take the wrong degree but with the right amount of funding, or go the other way around. That's you know, mm. that's that point, and but that's given you freedom, and you've taken the ego out of it as well, haven't you? Is that you, you know you're you're seeing success from your team and and this is a thread shame we've seen a lot through this series talking to leaders is how actually modern leaders at least recognize that if i can set up a bunch of people to be successful the successful for everyone will come including myself mm. that's how it seems to be and rightly these days yeah yeah um and a lot of uh, you know a lot of credit does go to bt so during university you're just you know you're very focused on the next goal um at university in your final year you just care about your dissertation you know because it's such a such a major element and such a large weighting from your um from your marking scheme but you know this is this is where i get lucky sometimes and and my parents say you know i've, I've, I've fallen down plenty of times in life but i've always managed to get up and during the final year at university i applied for one job one graduate scheme now looking back what an idiot <laughs> um i got so lucky um that i went through and you know bt i'm sure it's just as good but back then it, the graduate scheme was 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 fantastic and they make you do all psychometric tests and verbal reasoning and telephone interviews and assessment center over you know a day or two days in in milton Keynes, etc um got it you know um 21 grand a year i was like well hey showed my mum and dad as you know framing it um still got a letter still got the offer letter still got the original envelope and the um employee handbook that that came with it so i'm very proud of it um 
but I, I was lucky to get a place on the on the BT graduate um, scheme, and they invested a lot of money in training. And I doubt very much. Unfortunately, I, I imagine that has changed. But I remember one of the HR um, leaders saying recruiting each graduate costs between 15 and 20 grand that's how they how much they spent recruiting us and then you know filtering us down and and getting to the final I don't know 60 odd um of us and then they'd spend probably same again training us putting us on leadership programs and putting us in situations which for and I'm a natural introvert um very much so I'm, I'm comfortable um with my own um company um they put us in horrible situations and one of them in particular they took us down to Portsmouth we stayed for an overnight on HMS Excellence so an actual active warship and there were sailors walking around as um as well you know I think there was about 30 of us at a time uh, crammed into you know bunk beds etc they they woke us up at 5 a.m for pt and i'm sure 5 a.m was being kind to the, the the guys um from corporate um they made us do pt they made us run around they they did problems and um problem solving that tested all sorts and one particular exercise that stands out was something called a drew and you can youtube this and i do recommend you do it because it's it, it probably won't make much sense but that standard for damage repair instructional unit so it was a fake battleship that was on hydraulics and you'd, you'd dress up in a boiler suit um, with a hard hat and I happened to be in a group of lads say like 10 lads who were the last group to go in so it's almost as if they turned the dials up um, we went into the ship and I'm at the time I was, I was quite scared of water so I couldn't swim um always been you know a little bit wary of it but I'm just naturally a bad swimmer so this was I was already pretty nervous but all of a sudden the um lights go out and it's completely pitch black dark you're on this fake ship um and they fake hit it with a torpedo and the whole thing rocks back to forth and when we say it tips you're holding on for dear life otherwise you're going to you know swing to the um you know the lower end of the of the fake ship and out of nowhere, all these holes appear um, around the room. These high, super high pressure water jets full of freezing cold water starts hitting you and, and filling up from the from the ground up. And as soon as it hits you, your your breath is taken. Like I I was nervous anyway, but now I couldn't physically breathe. I couldn't get air into my lungs. And okay, the leader goes right down. You go. Sorry pardon where well, you you just do it because all the other you know guys in your group are doing it so you go down the hatch and the room below you which i think was um uh, it's like a fake mess sort of area is flooding uh and it's increasing you know noticeably um water coming from everywhere including the cupboard where to actually fill the hole and stop the water coming in you had to get one of your colleagues, about three or four of you, and push them against the water jet because it was so forceful. You needed three or four of you to push them uh, to even get close to the hole and bang in with a wooden mallet um, bits of two by four bits of wood to, to stop the water coming in. And it got to such a point where you could only breathe when the, um, when the ship was tilted to one side and then it would also tilt to the other side and you couldn't breathe because the water, this freezing cold water was above your head. But that's the sort of scenario that BT put us for in to go, OK, how are you going to cope with under pressure? Who's your leader? How are you communicating? How are you delegating tasks? How are you celebrating afterwards? And that was all videoed, which unfortunately we never got given the video. But if you look at YouTube, you'll see um, a couple of those. So from a leadership point of view, as I say, I didn't appreciate it until years after I left. But Thank you very much, BT. It's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, there's, 
was terrifying as well. I'm looking at pictures right now while we're talking, Richard. I thought and, and, I know Steve in marketing was the problem. That's what they do for real. Yeah. yeah, and I, I know Steve's really empathising with this because you've, he, um, without um, sharing too many secrets, he's also not so keen of, of water, and so you know you've got that added fear of of you know survival skills, I suppose. But it's very interesting that classic graduate scheme exposing you to really you know high level management training, and it is you know that those forces training. We've talked to other leaders who went through that sort of training and how it stood them well because it you do suddenly realize that actually you're capable of a lot more than you think you are um not that i'm sure that you've needed to plug any holes in sinking ships oh, I, since I don't then. know i could give you a long list of things <laughs> i've experienced and as each one happens each crisis or each you know major challenge it becomes a little bit easier next time you're a little bit less flustered so in, in previous companies, must um, must express that it's not my current employer, but I've had um, I've had senior managers in jail. I've had ex-co members uh, die through deep vein thrombosis. I've had employees shot down by missiles just on on planes. I've had offices um, held hostage by triads. I've had global um ransomware attacks where they you know requested bitcoin otherwise they'll destroy your computers um all sorts but each time you go through something like that the next one gets a little during that period oh my god you know you, you don't get time to sleep and and that's where you need those good people around you because if, if you're going to try and do everything yourself during a crisis good luck because that'll be your only crisis you're ever going to go through but they called you lucky at that company, I presume, <laughs> with all of that. I mean, I thought, Richard, that before listening to you in marketing, one of the biggest things is to control a leaking funnel when it comes to leads. But uh, <laughs> this DRIU's got nothing on that, has it? Um, anyway, <laughs> listen, let's just change the subject slightly, if we may, because, you know, some people would have downtime and rightly you deserve it. But your downtime seems like, amongst other things, logo and legend and spending time with the world's greatest living explorer. Tell us a bit about that. It sounds like a fascinating side project to be working on. Yeah, so one of my key development areas is actually taking time off. Um, I think it was at PT. It actually became like a HR issue, like, Richard, you must take time off. Um, just because if, if I'm enjoying what I'm doing, um, I, I like to keep on doing it. But um, as I said, during that period of, of a year out consultancy, um, trying to decide what I wanted to do next, I actually felt like scratching an itch, which was, and I'm sure most B2B marketers experiences this at some time, you know, there's always that comparison, you know, B2C is different from B2B marketing. And, and sometimes in my career, it's always felt like the B2C guys have more fun because, you know, they're dealing with everyday items or services that we find easier to relate to on a, on a human level. So I thought, you know what? I've got time on my hands, um, not in any, any particular rush to go straight into full time again, especially, you know, I've got that reputation of not, not taking any time off. So I thought, OK, I'm going to I'm going to scratch a couple of itches. Uh, and one of them was originally starting up a whiskey business with um, someone I'm very privileged to be become friends with in, in Serrano Fines. And me and Ran knew each other because I appointed him as a brand ambassador uh, for TMF Group many, many moons ago. We were launching a proposition which was all about helping companies enter new new countries. And we wanted a, a marketing device, a marketing vehicle that we can kind of piggy on the back of. So for him, it's all about the challenge and risk and reward and entering harsh new territories and benefits of local knowledge. For him, like a Sherpa. Tundu Sherpa is, is the guy who helped him climb Everest. Um, and, and from an uh, offer point of view, you know, he's helping companies enter new countries, understand rules and regulations and take those risks and, and be successful, build the right team around them, etc. And through working together on that marketing campaign, we become good friends. He, he had a couple of commercial affairs that I helped him uh, either get rid of or or make fit for purpose that um, 
he could sign and we became friends and for that year off I thought you know what why don't we work on a on something together and there's no one better for stories than Serrano Fines you know what what he's done in his life is just it makes you know he's the definition of the word legend he did the transglobe expedition um between 79 and 82 um where he circumnavigated the world on its polar axis using surface transport only so that took three years no one's ever done it um since and no probably nobody ever will um and on that trip he he was telling me a story about the 1730 club so you know for for three years um they were together um quite a lot of the time um on the uh, on the bow ring which was their um their ship and they developed a tradition by accident that 1730 every day they would meet up in oliver shepherd's uh, cabin and he used to work in the in the drinks industry a lovely guy and they used to toast whatever they had at hand whiskey rum uh, vodka you name it to the expedition to friends family um and all those that left at home and i was like you know that's that's brilliant let's 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 turn that into a um a product so i started calling various distilleries um some of them humored me some of them did not humor me um eventually i found one based in essex actually english spirit um distillery so only about an hour from 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 where i live and we got on like a house on fire, you know, fantastic company, uh, James and, and uh, Dr. John, the, the master distiller. And it was those guys, um, Ran and myself at Ran's um, Expedition Center, which is basically his old home on Exmoor. And we were meeting up in front of a fire and Ran brought, <laughs> Ran was so nice. He, he, he went down to the local shop before we got there and got us some sandwiches and Pringles and stuff. And we were just sitting in front of a fire in his childhood home, um, you know, talking about the 1730 club and, and whiskey, etc. And Dr. John, the master distiller, said, you know what, why don't you actually consider a rum? Rum's tied with adventure and pirates and exploration and, and a lot of your history and stories um, are just around that. So, you know what, that, that, that makes sense. And, and what we did, we sourced wood from some of Rand's favorite adventures, such as um, Date Palm from the Oman. So he, Rand, led the expedition for the lost city of Ubar. Um, then we got uh, Norwegian pine. Um, and then we got Canadian sequoia. Um, each, you know, represented an adventure um, in Rand's life uh, and would, in, in, in some part, um, you know, played a role. When he was in Oman, Ran used to, you know, try and hide his his, his vehicles and actually get some air cover um, using trees and, and using woods, etc. And he's just full of stories like that. So we put those woods into the steel to influence the colour and, and the flavour of the rum. And I was the marketer. So, and no doubt lots of tasting involved too. I, I really hope so because that that to me would be um, the pleasure of the of the job as well as listening to Ran and all his amazing stories because as you say, fabulous absolutely. storyteller. And, you know, it's like a it's like you're at school again, getting on a coach and, and going on a school trip when you visit a distillery. You know what actually happens? What's the process? Yeah, you went I, I could better sit... school than me, Richard. If you got to go to a rum distillery uh, as a school trip, <laughs> no, maybe swap that for a couple of Roman ruins. But you know, <laughs> the, the, the distillery would have been would have been more fun. But I could stay for hours at that at that place just looking at the bottling machines. You know, it's just it's it's it's, it's a marvel of of of, of mesmerizing. Man. I imagine. It's, it's fantastic. But there I was that we'd, we'd eventually got to a really good quality liquid. And Dr. John Walters and, and the guys at English Spirit, you know, essentially the Michelin starred version of, of distilleries. You know, they are they're only interested in the best of the best, which aligned to myself and Ram because we, did, we didn't want to take any old liquid and put his name on it. Like this is this history that's going into this. And, and you know, for, for a product to have these real genuine stories, we're not talking Captain Morgan and a, and a pirate or a made-up, you know, Captain Birdseye or, or whatever. These these stories are real. These these adventures happened, and we wanted it to um, be a sufficient um, quality. But 
from our, we got the liquid, we then sourced the bottles, we then designed all the labels. You know, I built the website 100% myself. Um, uh, got photography um, friends involved. You know, did deals with Amazon, talking to various airlines, etc. And it's just it's, it's it's a labor of love. But you know, the origination for me was kind of B two B marketer, mix it with the B two C world. I won't say it's easy. It's I've still got a hell of a lot to to learn, and I've certainly had enough. You know. Uh, unreplied emails and, and, and phone calls etc but you know what it, it doesn't feel like work when you're waking up on a Sunday and, and, and working on on a rum business that you're lucky enough to be partners with with someone like Ran. So I, I would urge everybody to look at the website which is sirranrum.com because oh boy I just the fact on any drinks website you have to declare your age um, you've had such fun, clearly, Richard, with yeah. with the messaging and the images that, you know, your your consent statement. I adore. I swear to be of drinking age and strong of nerve. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I want to enter the site. Yeah, I mean, what right fun. What an amazing thing. And and in terms of just the, the, the opportunities, Richard, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I can't imagine if you when you were that self-confessed supercomputer back at A-level times all the way through to now, if you'd have, if you'd have said to yourself back then, yeah, you, you'll become good buddies with uh, with this no, guy. It's, uh, it's quite amazing how doors open, isn't it? But yeah. but 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 interesting still is that the thread because you could have opened the door, but you've got the skill, you know, you've built up that catalogue of skills wherever you've been and what you've been saying about BT I can relate to from my client side times that you don't realize what you know until you leave Uh, and that's you know that's one of the important observations in life and and as you alluded to actually with the manager you know you sometimes just have to let people go it's it's their career rather than sometimes you learn as much from a bad manager as you do as good one very much so yeah absolutely but uh, I look back similar not the same building but different building but for the same reason of you know, actually, I learned in retrospect many years later where I was for a number of years was a business school. It wasn't. It was a PLC company, but I learned so much from it. You're always learning and it moves you forward. Um, and I wonder if we can kind of pull pull the loop back to the, to the branding. So uh, Shane's horrified and, and thank, thankfully kept it polite, Shane, that uh, you're, you're outraged at the fact that the, the marketing team didn't have the brand control. But that brand, and I just wonder whether the thread around Kiva, because Intertrust and Kiva have got a really interesting relationship, Richard, that comes, I think, stems from that finishing off the branding and the positioning of Intertrust. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the... <laughs> Um, I wonder how much details I can go into. So the, the brand identity refresh, because I try not to call it a rebrand. I'm one of those marketers. We're not rebranding. We're refreshing the brand identity. So I was very, um, very insistent on that fact. But, you know, that was a very difficult project. As I said, you know, um, close to 4,000 employees, 30 countries. I think we've got 44 offices during a pandemic. Um, that includes office branding on, on the side of buildings and stationery, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and just the sheer number of people that that project touched um, during a period where everyone's a little bit, um, a little bit, you know, nervous and, and, you know, not quite happy, not being able to go to the outdoors, etc. Um, but as we were closing in on D-Day, and I think we went live in the middle of October, that's when we launched it, we wanted something special to, to, to mark the occasion. And I think typically people, you know, sponsor a football team or, you know, they're looking for a big sponsorship activity, you know, un- unravel a huge tarpaulin um, on the side of your HQ with the logo or project it onto the Eiffel Tower, you know, those sorts of things. But, you know, we felt quite strongly that we wanted it to be a lot more meaningful. Um, and from my past, and it was a random conversation. I thought, oh, okay, well, how about this? Um, from my past, and there's actually my other half, um, she'd been a big supporter of Kiva, which is a charity that focuses on micro micro loans. And those loans are, you know, typically on average about four, $400, but they're made up of increments of $25. So lots of people chip in to help Rosa in Kenya buy the farming equipment that she and her colleagues need to make the most of, of the next harvest and, and to make money to send their children to school, et cetera. And it's very personal stories that you're investing into and, 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 and getting feedback 
on on the progress and you know for us as a company we help our clients invest grow and thrive so wherever in the world they want to invest or whatever they're trying to do uh, from a business point of view to be um, successful make the most of those opportunities to unleash their potential we thought you know what there's a there's a synergy with Kiva there and it's not only it's not putting a logo on a football team or projecting it on the building and it's not taking a taking a you know massive oversized check and writing an amount on it and having your CEO shake hands with another CEO photo opportunity press release done it's actually more, a lot more meaningful we're helping commu- communities who can't access funding to make their dreams come true like we're helping them invest grow and thrive so there's that there's that synergy and it's also the fact that we could put it in the hands of each of our employees we can go okay here's 25 kiva credits you decide who you're going to help it might be rosa it might be someone in the philippines it might be you know someone in brazil and each of them very personal stories around you know how they're trying to start a business or how they want to take their business to the next level how they're helping their community and um and and for us that just really worked really innovative and i think it's very interesting lots of companies are talking about purpose and and I've really had to do a bit of self-reflection in the last year that perhaps and it's so interesting you say you know you must start with your employees and as we know many brands go wrong that they don't get there don't connect with their employees first to understand it and that idea that that your employees get to choose that investment is Mm. is, it sounds really fresh fresh, and it's lovely I mean again you know your values I can see how it aligns to the responsive excellence innovative and connection um and you know that light bulb moment you make it sound so easy um but it sounds so right did, did you have i'm a to... gambler oh so I'm, I'm always up for a punt so you know over the years you kind of collect marketing philosophies and then one of my favorite at the moment i'm sure it's going to be a favorite forever but it's, it's it keeps coming up in conversation recently if everyone goes left, there's value in going right. So one of the plagues of the professional services industry, everyone looks at what your competitors are doing going, we should be doing that. Uh, they're doing this conference. We should be doing that. They're doing a, a proposition on this or launching a desk or a product or whatever. We should be doing that. And, and my default response is if you chase your competitors, you're kind of saying you're, you aspire to be average. That's all you ever be. If you're if you're chasing everyone else, the best you will ever be is average. So go right, take a risk, take a punt, try and be different. And if it if it works, great. You know, it's it's it's, it's really worked. Double down. If it doesn't work, turn it off. Try something else. Um, and that's kind of that's that's probably my f- favorite philosophy that I've developed over the years. It's a very apt one, isn't it? Because you're right. If you if you chase new competitors, uh, and it, it's classic when I put my teaching hat on. And Shane, I'm sure you can relate to this. Is you know you go into a company, they just want case studies from their industry, but it makes you quite myopic, and you, you're only ever going to be on the coattails of the people you want to beat, rather than as you say, innovate in a completely different direction. It's a it's a brave thing as well, Richard. You've got to have that uh, confidence or that gambling spirit, if, if you say, to say, yeah, let's do it. And I, I suppose also the mark back to the marketing background of it's test and learn as well, isn't it? It's not just blindly go right and keep going right until it is no more. It's if it's not working, change direction again. It's that it's an overused word on this podcast and in the last year, but you know to pivot into a different direction as as the market and as circumstance needs. Yeah, I, I, I also like hypotheses. So if we do this, this will happen. But there's value in proving that it won't. Because you, you, you though, you know, you, you learn. Um, and I like, personally, I quite enjoy. And I think I, I see elements, you know, all the way back to coursework at, at uni and that sort of stuff of seeing what other industries are doing and then trying to apply it to your world with 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 the context you have on your particular market or your your particular target audience and i always say if you want 10 ideas i can give you 10 ideas right now like on any subject i'll come up with something i'm, I'm naturally that way inclined eight of them would be rubbish why one of them would be good but completely wrong timing one of them might you know okay there's something in that and eventually it comes out but you know from a personal perspective i just really enjoy that sort of stuff you know give me a 
a blank piece of paper and you know a room full of people to bounce ideas off I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy I think that's for many of us while we get up in the morning and adore our, our careers in in marketing and strategic thinking because I mean it's such fun it's yeah. uh you know it, it and I know that that will never go away that that joy if you like of being truly creative but then I love the sort of the scientific approach as well of as you say having a hypothesis and testing it I think that's where you're demonstrating Richard if you like that the left brain and the right brain working together as you said those those subjects you sort of subject you studied at a level demonstrating both sides of the brain but I suppose reflecting now in terms of you know one piece of advice to pass on to people who've perhaps been listening to this um uh, is there anything that that you wish you'd known earlier in your career or even looking ahead actually I think this is important what do you want to know next what well, how are you challenging yourself next that might even be more interesting um God, that's a difficult one so in terms of one single piece of advice I actually struggle as I say like over the years you get your internal monologue you know your repertoire your 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 expression of what marketing is and, and what it is and, and and how to go about things and one of them that I'm quite happy with I, I realized at a relatively early stage of my career is is you know the value in proactively understanding how you can help your boss and your boss's boss be successful because that's a, a, a crucial um light bulb moment which is okay my job is to make my boss successful and also from a career point of view you're doing really well if your boss's boss certainly like in your early 20s and stuff knows who you are let alone that you're adding value to them and that you're helping make them successful and their organization successful and i'm not not sure it's deliberate in my early career but i kind of ended up doing that and i kind of attribute that to the trajectory I was on I was I was appointed CMO at 27 and I started when I was 28 like there was a you know a couple of months grace period I would I would never have and that's a whole story and it's it's you know itself I I was I was deeply embarrassed going to that interview going what the hell am I doing here um but I, I think it's those sorts of philosophies that kind of now I look back and and I'm quite grateful um that I developed um What's the other question, Shane, about moving forwards? What yes, do I hope so to learn? The, yeah, the next, if you like, you, it, you're obviously somebody who loves and relishes challenge and learning new things. And I just wondered. I had a conversation with Ran quite oh, recently. Did you? Um, and, you know, that was that was in a uh, driving around um, Westminster, funnily enough. Um, he was driving and he gets lost quite a lot <laughs> for, a, for a famous explorer he gets lost quite a lot so i was his wingman um going through london uh which is an experience in itself and we began talking and i think this is one of the cringiest moments of my life um i don't know how we got about it but i was talking like new year's resolutions and the year before i kind of counted the rum as my new year's resolution and like we both agreed yeah that's you know fantastic and and i think he asked yeah okay what's this one richard i went well you know you know hearing about you and your stories and stuff i'd love to climb a mountain or something like that or or learn how to um pilot a helicopter he went helicopter i went why <laughs> don't, don't you think i could do the the mountain stuff i said richard you best suited to the helicopter i thought all right <laughs> so, he, he can tell him um he knows uh whether you've got the uh the, the metal for that sort of stuff or not and you know what he's probably right well brilliant brilliant stuff there from richard uh, and certainly a man who has the metal even if ran his friend decided that maybe stick in the helicopter he's certainly shown the metal shane in terms of what he's achieved and and how he's gone about it so far in his career absolutely and i think one of the consistent themes that we've heard from people throughout this series who've achieved leadership very quickly in their careers is they're good people people they're good people persons you know they they bring out the best in their team and I think that shines through from what Richard chatted about today is that you know if there's somebody better than you at it then make sure that you're part of they're part of your team um, and the value and that understanding he showed us that 
you know, that you'll go far very quickly if you understand the value in helping your boss to succeed, you know, and I think that's a lesson that we sometimes forget. Yeah, I think there's a lovely there's a lovely circle there, Shane, as well, as we, we listen to Richard. It reminds me of our first guest for this episode, David Gilbertson, who again picked up many threads uh, and that idea that just being confident in your own skin, that it's old leadership would have been the one that dictates. It's it's this new leader that recognises you don't have to be good at everything. You're far better off as a leader if you surround yourself with good people, as we said, bringing the experts to be experts and just help them all work together. And he's really he's really done that well, Shane. And, and it's proven, isn't it, in terms of how he's managed to do that. And, and the same kind of people following him around that obviously recognise the value of a leader to work with with him again time and time yes and if you you know you want to work with people that bring out the best in you and I, I think that you know that it's much more fun to work in those sort of teams and the other big takeaway for me which is I, I, I think really a really great one you know if everybody's going left then go right um, I learned that lesson when I visited with my children Disney World and there's a fantastic book which I think I even recommended to you Steve if you anybody did. here is, is visiting Disney um, and it's basically the unofficial guide to Disneyland or Disney World and it tells you to do exactly that because psychology is you go into a theme park everybody goes left and this says if you go to the right you'll cut your cues in half and, and that was the essence of the book and it tells you lots of other top tips as well but a great mantra to have in business too yeah absolutely i mean you've spoiled my impending trip to the us shane now as everyone buys that book and everyone turns right <laughs> uh, so i'll have to go left but yeah the, the principles of just not having to do the same as everyone else and, and i've banged on about this for years is you know we tried something once it didn't work everyone else seems to be doing this and that constant um, coat chasing of our competition is well what's our competition doing we must we must follow them and if we do that we never really innovate out we just are at best one step behind I think it's a really fresh and brave and a brave's a really good word for Richard actually Shane it really struck me with he's made brave decisions from a very early age so it would have been easy and I'm sure many people perhaps in his shoes would have carried on with that university course and gone well it's being funded I'll complete I'll, I'll stick with what I've got rather than being brave and taking a, a different route so going right again rather than sticking on on the left path when it came to his studies really really inspiring chap yeah, and I, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I admire in Richard in terms of um, his strategic marketing mouse, if you like. Um, you know, he was very early within B2B marketing, at really understanding the importance of purpose. And he talked a little bit about that um, and how he's evolved his thinking and how it brings, again, it brings people internally on your team when you move into a new business, but it also helps your, really cu your customers relate to you too. And I thought that was very interesting, the alliance to the charity, in fact, that, that you know. And mm, Kiva, where, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, and, you know, yes, I can relate to Kiva because I've been a, a funder for a long time, micro funder for a very long time to them. But having that lateral thought and, and as Richard articulated, that something was missing from the brand story. What can we add in that, that does it rather than it's quite easy to go and slap your name on the side of a sports car or some kind of sporting team uh, in some shape or form. And nothing wrong with that. But if everyone's doing it, what's the right way to go? And, and yeah, really nice example. I, I think also, Shane, you made an excellent point inadvertently I suppose that because he was very computer literate um, again as a reminder to, to anyone from a marketing background listening in is senior people having surrounded by good people people that understand technology are really important Richard's got those both sides he's got that very natural understanding of behaviors which is very important for marketing but he's got a very solid understanding of technology that digital space which is obviously so important now and and into the future and that was where, in fact, we first met. I first met Richard because he was upskilling himself and wanted to learn about marketing automation for himself um, so he could have a better level of conversation with his teams who were leading the project. And, uh, and that, for me, stood out because you don't that doesn't happen very much. You know, you do a lot of teaching, Steve, I know. But to have somebody of a very senior level come on a, a course about marketing automation before they bring it in, um, not to ask difficult questions, but so, but so to have the comfort, um, if you like, that they could give support, which I thought was brilliant. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It reminds me actually, I had an industry leader at IBM who'd been in the industry 
marketing industry for 40 years come along to a, to a uh, professional diploma, so a, an undergrad degree level course a, a number of years ago. And, and probably she was 25 years older than everyone else, uh, which would have been very intimidating. But she said, look, I've got this whole pyramid of people under me. I want to be credible with them. I've got that strategic leadership. But how do I talk the language? How do I understand to make good decisions? It just shows you can always be learning for sure. Um, and, and actually, Shane, slightly through gritted teeth is the other bit it's a bit like when we had Gemma Gemma Davis the other week is that Richard's achieved an awful lot in quite a short time there's an awful lot more to come from him I'm sure not just brilliant rums and stories with Sir Ranulph Fiennes and who knew that Ran was such a terrible navigator when it came to driving the world's greatest living <laughs> explorer not finding his way around London as easily as perhaps you and I might do particularly you Shane given how you learned to drive mm. uh, so yeah very interesting from Richard Indeed. Yeah. Uh, super episode. Yeah. Fabulous. A brilliant, brilliant way to to wrap up a whole series of leaders and pioneers. We're not done yet, though. We'll be back next week with one final episode for this series where Shane and I pick up all of the threads. And there's been some incredible stories and threads that run through everybody that's been generous, generous enough with their time for us to conclude series three. In the meantime, if you're sitting in going, my goodness, this is the first episode I've ever listened to www.podcast.co.uk go there go search on spotify apple music google acast for what we've learned and you'll find us and you'll find over 30 episodes nearly 40 hours of stuff of us having time to listen to lots of brilliant people like richard so make some time whatever you're doing to pop a podcast into your player and listen in to some more of what we've learned in the meantime, we'll be back, as I said, for that final series episode, uh, and hopefully we'll see you very soon. Thanks, everyone.